Keeping supply chains moving in the Northeast Corridor is a challenge in the best of times, which these aren't. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Conrail is in the thick of a storm, if that's an apt metaphor for the jam-packed network of roads and rails around the port of New York and New Jersey. Now owned jointly by the Norfolk Southern and CSX railroads, Conrail is charged with handling large volumes of intermodal business in and out of that complex at a time when the pandemic has ramped up activity in what has historically been one of the country's most crowded corridors. Today we'll learn how the railroad is faring, from Conrail President and Chief Operating Officer Brian Gorton. He'll talk about the state of the railroad, how it's coping with supply chain bottlenecks, the potential impact on the northeast of the infrastructure bill, and whether we'll see relief from congestion anytime soon. Here's my conversation with Brian Gorton. Brian Gorton, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Bob. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks so much for being with me today. So what is the situation right now with regard to intermodal cargoes moving in and out of the port of New York, New Jersey? The positive side is we're much better in position than our West Coast partners with what we've been doing inside the port with the, the equipment that's coming from the owning roads. And let me explain that a little bit. So Conrail is owned by two companies, the Norfolk Southern and the CSX, two class one railroads that acquired Conrail back in 1998. So we've been a switching company for them and a class three railroad since the conception of that time at that time. Basically what we do is we handle the New York, New Jersey markets. We have all of that area in there. We have also some intermodal down in the Philadelphia market as well. So we serve Philadelphia, North Jersey, South Jersey, and we have Detroit area, not as much intermodal there, especially coming off the freight liners that uh, we have in the New York, New Jersey market. So we're poised to be in pretty good shape in light of what's happening across the nation. Very close relationships with the Port of New York. Sam Ruda and his team do an excellent job, and, and we're on weekly calls with them to make sure that we're all poised and positioned on what needs to be done. Um, you also see some of the traffic coming from the West Coast ports coming to the East Coast, not only New York and New Jersey, but up and down the East Coast, especially Savannah and the Baltimore ports to alleviate some of the congestion issues they're having out in California. So even though we're not in as bad a shape as them, we still have our challenges. Right now, just like everybody around the nation, the intermodal facilities are short on chassis and drivers, and I think that's going to be with us for a little while now. And I'm hoping first quarter maybe to mid-2022, we should see some of those problems alleviate themselves. But we're positioned pretty good considering where we are right now with the issues around the nation. Well, tell me a little bit more about why you're not having as serious a problem as L.A. Long Beach. I mean, you are the major port on the East Coast. You are getting diverted cargoes as well as the usual business through New York, New Jersey. You say, as you say, the chassis situation is nationwide. The driver situation is nationwide. But what is it specifically about your situation that makes it a little less dire than what's going on in Southern California? 
outside of the intermodal and the, the waterways there, I think the highway system is excellent in and out of the North Jersey area. As you see where you're able to get up into the Pennsylvania markets, the New Jersey markets, the New York markets with greater ease than some of the issues they're having out on the California side. I also think we're in better position with drivers, although you may hear different parties say that might not be the case. But from, from my perspective, it looks like the drivers are holding up. It looks like we're getting in and out of the ports without any issues. The bursts are doing very well, especially when you see the turnaround time with the ships from the time that they they arrive at berth until they're offloaded and moving out. So the cycle times, in my opinion, seem to be much better than what we're seeing out in the California ports. So say a container comes off a ship into a rail yard in New York, New Jersey. If that were Southern California, that container might be sitting in that yard for days, if not weeks, never mind how long it took to even get into the port. It was offshore for a week or two. That isn't so much a situation. I mean, containers move through these facilities and you're able to get your hands on them and get them in and out pretty quickly. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing given the amount of demand out there right now. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I can't speak as well as about the West Coast ports as I can right here in the New Jersey, New York markets, but they're turning them pretty good. They really are doing a nice job with what we're doing with the intermodal, and especially with some of the PSR initiatives from the owners. We're having some longer trains leaving the terminals. We're seeing some longer trains coming into the terminals, and that's that's all good news. What the Norfolk Southern and the CSX have done to position themselves in the New York market, bringing in the empty chain and then also the empty equipment for the loads has really been beneficial. And they're moving those from other ports and moving them up to the New York and New Jersey market to make sure that no issues with equipment. Is that true every day? Not every day, but that's the exception and not the rule. And we usually have an equipment to move out these containers as requested. What about the extended system? You know, for many years, growth of intermodal and especially double-stack trains were being held back by clearance problems throughout the East Coast. Have those all been solved? Have all those clearances been raised over the years to allow for the easy passage of these trains to and from ports? The area that I'm responsible for, it has. It's really nice. You see some Mm -hmm. of the coming out of North Bergen, they undercut that territory a couple of years ago. So the double stacks are having no problem moving up into the Albany area, then out to Buffalo, and then, of course, to the Western markets through those gateways, whether it be Chicago or Salem, Illinois. So, yeah, so that right there, the double stacks, we're able to move double stack containers throughout our entire network. Have you seen a general growth of intermodal, a shift to intermodal from over the road in the last uh, couple of years because of any of these situations? Or for even have, long, you know, um, say even over the last decade? I absolutely have. I think this consumer demand, and any way you look at it, from what we're receiving from overseas, we're a huge consumer nation. And as more of that uh, product come from overseas, it's going to continue to grow. And it's not just the freight. You're seeing automobiles coming across, auto parts that they're moving up through that area. So I see a, a tremendous growth engine, not only in the last couple of years, but I see that for years to come. In the early days of intermodal, and now I'm talking maybe like 10 or 20 years ago, there were concerns among some shippers about the schedule integrity of railroads, and that caused them to balk a little bit about using intermodal as opposed to over the road. Do you believe that railroad scheduling has been solved? Do you think it's up to snuff now in the last few years? I do. I look at how we're operating our business 
um, we don't have a lot of the short haul. We, we're dealing with mostly from the New York parts to the Chicago markets and, and then further west. We're more efficient than trucks. The intermediate terminals, as you go, are processing this equipment um, extremely well. Technology has certainly helped with that. I think the scheduling issues are a thing of the past. I think the biggest thing mm-hmm. that we have that will be facing us moving forward and, and what we have today is basically the labor shortage. That is one issue that is plaguing I believe all industries, anywhere you look, whether it be trucking or the rail industry, we can't hire quick enough. And what we're looking for, and we're trying to find these people, and we just need to get people to want to get back to work. Did that problem exist pre-pandemic, or is that really a product of COVID-19, the labor situation from your standpoint specifically? From my position, I, I didn't see the labor shortage prior to the pandemic, and then certainly, um, not to get too political, but the stimulus certainly didn't help that effort. It's slow getting people back to work after the receiving of those monies. Yeah, but they haven't had it since September, so we all would have thought they would have been back to work uh, yeah, by now. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt about it. And then you say, not so much problem with drivers on, on your end, but of course the driver shortage was something very much in evidence prior to COVID-19. Once again, wasn't a huge concern for you even then or, or, or now? Not as, not, let's say not as a huge concern as for some. Yeah, I mean, it, it truly wasn't as high on our radar then as it was now. That problem has blossomed, and you're hearing more and more of those issues where it's just the labor of the drivers. I think the ports are doing okay, but they're actively hiring as well, as well as Conrail. What are your priorities going forward in terms of the type of infrastructure, the types of new services, the types of innovations you feel it's necessary to implement, number one, specifically with Conrail, and number two, in partnership with your dual owners, Norfolk Southern and CSX? What's on your agenda going forward? Yeah, what what we're looking to do here is basically assist the owners with their PSR initiatives, build infrastructure that can help facilitate longer trains in and out of the complex. Every place when you're talking rail, you're restricted on footage. And do you have the capacity to land these larger trains? And can you build these larger trains? So that's that's really my focus moving forward as I do my capital plan. Where can we build? What connections can we do? We have a project right now with a southbound connection out of North Jersey that would help us go another route to alleviate some of that congestion on the Lehigh line. Um, and those all good news stories. So basically, it's the capital monies that I'm looking for is to go ahead and support longer tracks, more tracks to accommodate the business. We should explain that PSR is precision scheduled railroading. Could you explain to our listeners a little more about what that concept's all about? We absolutely can. So, I mean, in, in the past, a lot of the railroads, I would call it boutique service, where they would run special 30 or 40 car trains to make that happen. And then they were shorter routes. That certainly wasn't cost effective, and it was not a good use of our manpower, nor was it a good use of our equipment. So we built a plan to run longer trains, longer districts, and then combine services to help uh, you know, facilitate the movement of these, of these cars. 
whether it be a manifest or an intermodal, and it's really proven beneficial to almost any railroad that has taken the PSR initiatives. There are the prescribed schedule railroad initiatives, and they've seen true benefits from it. It's they've seen a, an increase in velocity in their network. They've seen the business move quicker, and really, with some of the customers that I'm dealing with, they couldn't be happier with the transit time of their equipment, and they were actually able to take equipment out of their network because the equipment, the cars were turning that much quicker. Do you think that new technology can help? And what types of new technologies are coming along right now that you think might even increase your ability to stick with schedules and provide smoother and more efficient service? That's a great point. So what, especially with our locomotives, as you know, we've all railroads have gone over and they've done um, PTC um, for the safety of the trains. We have had locomotives that have been upgraded that were able to put locomotives in the middle of the trains and the rear of the trains to help facilitate these longer, bigger trains for buff and draft force. The handling of the trains are much smoother. We're able to accommodate those longer trains with the assistance, and it's called distributive power or DP power, and that certainly helped. That technology has been evolving for years, and I think all railroads have seen not only a tremendous amount of assistance with the longer trains, but also fuel efficiency. And that is probably the biggest benefit outside of the longer trains is how much fuel we're able to save associated with that distributed power. Let's explain another acronym, PTC, Positive Train Control, which I believe you defined, but I just wanted to make sure that we got the... No problem. So, um, you know, one of the things that has got everybody uh, interested and positive about the future of transportation infrastructure is the passage of the infrastructure bill. The billions of dollars that are being laid out for construction and new maintenance of all kinds of infrastructure and transportation. How do you see that as impacting your operation specifically and rail in general? I think it's a great news story. I mean, when you look especially at the Northeast Corridor, where I'm at, let's face it, that's where the beginning of our nation started. It's not just the rail infrastructure, but our bridges, our tunnels, all of those are aging. That is long overdue to get some of those either replaced or repaired. That's a good news story, not only for the rail transportation, but all transportation. And with the railroad itself, outside of the intermodal, that's moving the raw goods to these locations and those materials to build these structures that are, in my opinion, long overdue from getting replaced. So I look at it as a positive for this country all the way around, and we do have an infrastructure that's aging. And truth be told, there's probably some safety aspects involved with that as well. One thing that you do experience on the East Coast and the Northeast Corridor that the West Coast doesn't have as much of, and that is the fact that there is heavy passenger rail activity right alongside your freight operations. Does that cause issues at all Do you and make it harder for you to carry out the service you need to carry, or have you learned to live with a passenger rail on the Amtrak side uh-huh. without any problems? Yeah, with Amtrak itself, we have a couple of areas that they traverse over our railroad, but most of it is we traverse over theirs. We have a great partnership with New Jersey Transit. I guess, to your point, we have lived with it, but it's really a great partnership. Um, Amtrak, as you know, the majority of their railroad is separated and has that over on the Northeast Corridor which is separate and apart from the freight, but New Jersey Transit, we spend a lot of time, they spend a lot of time on our railroad, and we truly do have a good partnership with them. We know their schedules, they understand our schedules, and we basically complement one another. 
So, to the extent that anyone knows, and of course nobody does, what is your feeling about when some of these problems that we're experiencing now are going to be relieved? Do you think 2022 is going to see some improvement? Are we in for continued challenges throughout the year? What do you think? I don't know. I wish I had that crystal ball. I am hoping that the people, the biggest thing that I'm looking for is getting people on the property and on the payroll. We're hiring as quick as we can. And then as some of these, the chassis and all that become available, boy, I'm I'm sure hoping it's first quarter to mid-2022 before we have the majority of these issues behind us. And as these COVID cases are limited and and that starts to become a thing of the past or something that we're living with, I think that certainly is going to help the cause as well. Brian Gordon of Conrail, I want to thank you so much for spending these minutes with me to talk about how Conrail is weathering the situation up there in the Northeast Corridor in connection with your railroad partners, is what the situation is and how you see it as shaping up in the future. Thank you so much for being with me today. Bob, I can't thank you enough. I really enjoyed our conversation. That was my conversation with Brian Gorton, president and COO of Conrail. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast. We're streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.